Hey, Editing Rod here. We had the great privilege of having a guest with us today on the podcast, but we had to record remotely, so there were some inconsistencies and issues with the audio, but we did our best to clean it up because it was still a great episode and we wanted you to enjoy it. So without further ado, please enjoy today's episode with one of the main directors of X-Men Evolution, Stephen E. Gordon. Welcome to X-Men Evolution, episode 15 of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men animated recap podcast. I'm JC, and we were a little bit late recording today. That's definitely my co-host's fault, so I'll let him take the blame. And I'm Rod. I was totally late. I'm an agent of chaos, which was an appropriate thing for this episode. Not on purpose, though. It's just because I I just told these guys offline, like, I function much better during lockdown because I can think of, like, one thing at a time. Anyway, speaking of, introducing our guest and director of today's Evolution episode, Stephen E. Gordon. Hi, nice to see you guys. Pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. For those who don't know, what is the quick recap of who you are before we get into any of the specifics today? Well, specifically for X-Men Evolution, I was the sole character designer. Oh, wow. I was also one of the directors, one of the directors for the first two seasons. So, speaking of the character design, is it true Gene's look was inspired by Charisma Carpenter? Correct. That it is was. correct. All right. Yes. I always love when we get to either verify something that is listed on a random IMDb trivia page, or we get to debunk stuff. Those are yeah, always the sure. fun ones because some people just seem to make stuff up that it totally makes sense. And then you ask the team who worked on it and they're like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we have yeah. a famous quote from Eric Leewald last season brought up something about the finale, and Eric was like, there was no truth to that. Doesn't surprise me. Sure. So let's go through our regular rigmarole, and then let's get into the episode. Cyclops is Waiting for Me is our weekly podcast series. We're going back and watching every single X-Men animated episode that we could find, along with some bonus episodes of some other shows. We first started with the original 1992 X-Men the Animated Series, building up to the release of X-Men 97, which who knows when that's coming out. Out at this point but it is not here yet so we found some other shows that we wanted to cover including x-men evolution the quick reminders we're a recap show about a series that started over 20 years ago there will be spoilers if you don't want to spoil for you pause the podcast watch the episode and come back we're not currently sponsored by or affiliated with marvel marvel animation disney or disney plus in any way yeah i definitely messed that one up yep <laughs> we just yep. get one today <laughs> yep we're messing everything up today don't forget to follow us on social media at cyclops iwfm pod on instagram tiktok threads x and facebook and of course make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast services. Steven, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media? Well, I'm all over social media. I am on Facebook. I've got not only my personal page, but as well as my Art of Stephen E. Gordon page. I'm on Instagram and Stephen E. Gordon on Instagram. And where else am I? I just started Blue Sky. Nice. And also I'm on LinkedIn. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably if you Google my name, with the initial, you will find plenty of links to find and, where I am. And I've got an envy store that you can buy prints from me and whatnot. So. Do you have a favorite print on the store right now? Yeah, I've got several. I mean, I just came up with a bunch of new ones before San Diego. And, you know, I've got some a new Fire and Ice print with the Witch Royale. And I've got a, a Deja Thoris print that I just did. And I've got several new X-Men Evolution prints that I've did because I can never keep up on them because they sell fast and I go through runs quite a bit. And for X-Men Evolution, is the lenticular dance scene up for sale on the site? 
Yes, it is. Yeah. I just put that up the other day because I've been too lazy not to. But yes, <laughs> the reticular dance scene, the Buffy dance is on the side. So. I was telling Rod when we were diving into evolution for the first time, that was one of the scenes from the show that having never watched an episode before, I knew that scene was coming. And I believe the other one was the walk from the craft, which is yep. in a later episode. But that's in that same season, I think. But yeah, it's in the the Bayville Simons episode. So on to today's episode, we're going to be talking about season two, episode two, titled Bada Bing, Bada Boom. It aired on October 6th of 2001, currently sits at a 6.8 star rating on IMDb. And before we even get into the specifics of the episode, we have to talk about the fact that Disney and IMDb list it in a different order than basically every other fandom does. This is listed as episode two, or episode three, depending on where you look it up. Yeah, and tell you the truth, I'm not positive. It's been over 20 years, so I'm guessing that the number three slot, as I was telling you earlier, might be correct because I was doing character design, so the producer, Boyd Kirkland, tended to give me the third spot, the third in rotation, the third spot in rotation. So I'm guessing that was probably the thing. I know that was definitely happening in season one, but I can't recall season two, but... Per se. So which episodes in season one were also on yours? Well, the first Rogue episode was mine. The Nightcrawler one, where we find out who the Mystique is his mother. As Rod likes to refer to as secret babies, which is a theme yeah. within the X-Men. <laughs> yes, yep, yep. I have to go through and look at the actual list. But it was every third episode was mine. So, so one thing that dramatically was different from X-Men 92 compared to Evolution, you guys had a cold open. That was not the most common thing with cartoons back in the day to have cold opens before the animated intro. Had you worked on shows that also had this, or was this one of your first times working on shows with a cold open? This was actually, I believe, my second time directing series television, I think. So that was not, you know, the other series I did, I think, had the same type of cold open, but it was a comedy series that never made it to broadcast in this country, so it doesn't matter. But I think mainly, if I had to guess why this particular show had that, it's because Boyd was a humongous Buffy fan, and obviously he wanted in a lot of ways to mirror that. If right. you look at even the opening, the titles, we stole several shots, or not stole, we homage <laughs> several shots. For legal from, reasons. <laughs> from, well, I mean, really, we were doing it. We did it on purpose, and we wanted to kind of convey that yeah. we're doing Buffy. Yeah, that is one thing we talked about with our previous guest, Kit Quinn, was (laughs) that the vibe of this show reminded me so much of watching through episodes of Buffy for the first time back when I was in high school and as a teenager. So that that was what we were trying to do. That's why the dances and everything wasn't just the Buffy dances you noted earlier, but we were trying to give that whole 80s vibe and the whole you know, the, the teens and high school vibe and stuff and whatnot. And that's why, you know, one of my popular prints is the five of the characters in the whole Breakfast Club setup. You know, no, stuff. That makes sense. It, yeah. It, it, it kind of gets that across in a, a kind of below the radar way, but I think people sort of pick up on it, even if they don't know it and stuff. And I think it helped keep us kind of on the mark too. It's funny you say that because I didn't even really watch The Craft or Buffy uh, at that time, and I still actually haven't. And there wasn't anything against them. I just it just wasn't in my orbit at the time. But watching the show now, I realized that was of the time that I wasn't aware of at the time. Like, yeah, we did have a lot of like dark '80s ish kind of like micro retro stuff, you know. 
Well, there's a lot of a girl kind of empowerment stuff yeah. too, just kind of working its way in there in a uh, subliminal type of way, and that's definitely what we wanted to get in there. And that you know that was the whole reason for that whole Bayville Sirens thing is we wanted to do Buffy. We wanted to kind of say this is what we're really looking at. We don't give a crap that much about the guys fighting and right. stuff. And whenever we can, we make fun of them fighting anyway. So, well, the the women in the X Men tend to have the strongest powers. Like the guys are sturdy and they don't seem to die, but the women are the strength of the show. You have Jean, who's the crazy telekinetic. You have Storm, who literally controls the weather. You know, Rogue at certain points in storytelling is basically indestructible. So they are the badasses of the series both from the comics and then what you guys have been able to do with the animated shows. So. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And they have to deal with the guys. But one of the funniest lines in an episode that I directed was the Forge episode. In the middle verse. Exactly. Yep. And they're trying to decide what to do with the machine that caused it to happen or whatever. I don't know the specifics any longer. But And the guys just said, well, let's blow it up. And yes. Kitty, yeah. Kitty or Gene are saying, what is it with guys wanting to blow stuff up all the time? Yeah. Yep, that was that was something we definitely talked about when we did our episode recapping that. That was it. It definitely stood out where they were like, "Yeah, the guys are just kind of doofuses, and they think they could solve everything by blowing it up." Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that that was kind of our commentary too, a little bit on the original series. Yeah. I also did some of that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, a lot of things to be honest that we did in our series were in direct opposition to what they did in their show. So, I mean, Rogue is the prime example. It's like we wanted to avoid that whole Southern Belle, Dolly Parton type yep. character. And that's why he's like, no, she's not, she's Southern, but she's like trailer trash and you know, she's goth and she's just completely angry and antagonistic to everyone and, you know, full of old angst. Instead, so. Yeah, you never would have caught '90s Rogue reading Dracula and yeah, stuff like exactly. that. So. Yeah, yeah, and and plus, you know, to go against the fact she had the hots for Scott, so, right? So, so you know, like, yeah, yeah, this is where we're going with it. So, of course, we were reading that correctly. We were like, are we reading into this? Yeah, too we much? thought we were reading too much into it. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it, it's there. I mean, I, awesome. I don't. No, I think second season is the one with the Christmas episode, the Angel episode. Or is that the first season? I can't remember. It is not the first season because we have, we have not yet. gotten to it yet. No, that one so. was written by Boyd himself with the whole intent of getting that across. So you will see that in spades. But, yeah. Awesome. And a lot of this stuff, like that relationship, was not planned. That just kind of started to happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you're doing a show like this, relationships start to happen unbeknownst to the writers or the yeah. creators and stuff. But they just start, uh, like, yeah, Rhodes seems to have something for Scott here. Let's kind of lean into that a little more. Yeah. So I'm doing that like Shakespeare reading. Or not Shakespeare, the Dracula musical, right? Yeah, sure. Or was it Shakespeare? No, no, they, no, was, they got paired up to read Shakespeare, read Shakespeare together. Oh, right, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. It was yes, a Shakespeare yes. thing. Yeah. So. Nice. Well, the episode kicks off with a sunrise over the mansion, and we see that they're at the cliffside, and Nightcrawler is passed out cold, and Cyclops is rappelling towards him, and you get the quick reveal. He's actually okay, and they're in a training scenario, and then they're like, all right, send Tabitha, and... I mean, I recently have started to fall in love with the character of Boom Boom. I only really started reading her within the last year. Let's talk a little bit about Boom Boom because, you know, this season, the way characters are being introduced, we didn't get anybody even speaking in the last episode. And this one, Boom Boom is the only one who actually has a speaking role from all these new students who have premiered. Right. Yeah, we had tried to insert Boom Boom 
in season one, and we did a design for her, and she that particular design was actually in the one where they go away on a camping trip or something like that, or a snow trip or something. I forget. I know. The, there's yeah. the cave one, and then there's the survival I, camp. I think it's one where they were dressed for the snow. I can't recall which okay. one that is. But she was actually one of the girls in there, and we thought, that's going to be Boom Boom. And then by the time we finally got around to actually doing the Boom Boom character, we said, yeah, we, we need something a little more interesting for her. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a different design for her. So that's, that's just kind of like a lost character now. And actually, and you were talking about Jean Grey being based on someone boom boom was more or less based on pink oh the singer interesting yeah, yeah. and okay a little gwen stefani in there too originally started out as going to get pink wasn't around right then that i'm aware of but yeah, then so when we started to go deeper into it but yeah she feels more like pink so i can totally see that i the, visually i could see the gwen stefani like in no doubt days now yeah I, it's funny you say that because like i was watching the episode it's like what is this design based on because it seemed familiar but like i don't remember anybody wearing hair like that, but that's why. It's because only the only the celebrities wore their hair like that. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah. Well, the hair was completely. Yeah. Originally, it didn't have the spiky things on the side, but Boyd asked me to do that because it looked like an explosion. So, okay. I, oh. I will say the thing that stood out the most about Boom Boom's design for me is she had the two plastic bracelets wrapped around each other as her armband. Mm-hmm. And I just total flashbacks to high school and college because that was our era. That's when Rod and I were in school. And I definitely remember girls on school who would have that. And it, it's oh, like, yeah. it just it just looked like it cut off circulation in their arms, but nobody seemed to care. No, that was the look because this is before Google and I was doing these designs and stuff. So, I mean, you can still try to find things online, but you know, yep. using AltaVista and all those other weird search web engines, crawler um, and all that yeah, stuff. Exactly, yeah. Ask and whatever. But I had this go to magazine racks and spent a lot of time picking up teen magazines. So. <laughs> and even though, you know, I was much younger than, you know, 20 or so years ago, it's still kind of weird. I got some weird You still looks. don't want to be seen picking up the teen magazines at the rack. No, definitely. Right. So, you know, I was still in my 40s or something that is just like, no, nah, it's not a good look. But I get it, man. I'm in my 40s now and I work with TikTok musicians. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you, there's there's a whole age bracket where I'm like, we have to have mom and dad in the room and on the text <laughs> chat. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could do that now days at all. I mean, 20 years ago, you could kind of, people would leave you alone, but still you'd get the looks. It is so interesting to hear where like research for visual things like that came at that time, because like you said, there, there wasn't an easy way to like look stuff up because i talked to these kids all the time about fashion back at that time and they're like oh this is how you dress in the 90s mm, it's not how i dress in the 90s but i know what you mean and it's yeah it's like stuff that would be like in teen bop magazines or i don't even know if that's a real one but something like that or like adelia's catalog or something so jump up to the top of the cliff and you see that boom boom is completely ignoring everybody she has her headphones on gets scolded by wolverine and we always pick up on music cues because of rod's background i don't know if it was intentional it totally sounded like Rob Zombie's Dragula was playing in her headphones to me. I couldn't comment on that. (laughs) I don't know where they got the music from because that was all inserted after I was through with the episode. But, you know, I suspect it was probably just something that the composer had sitting around so they wouldn't have to license something. Was William the only music guy on the show? I think so. The only other time we used anyone else that I know or can recall was on the Bayville Sirens episode. I think his version of that song didn't land. 
So I think they hired someone else to do one. Okay. So I think that's my memory of it, and I might be wrong yeah. if I am. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I had a suspicion because of was it the last step? One of the last episodes we recorded, they're listening to like a band on the radio, and it's very clearly like an alternative rock band from the late '90s or early 2000s, I guess. And I like looked up the composer. It's like the only one composer, but and I do music for some shows and stuff too. So I was like, you know what, probably was exactly what you said. I have a Dropbox folder of like stuff that didn't quite make the cut and other things or just starts of ideas i'm like we're gonna throw this in when someone throws me a curveball at the last minute no i'm sure that's what it was yeah he's just like well i've got i've got five samples here pick one yeah so as tabitha walks over to the the basket to get lowered down she also flirted with logan a little bit too yeah she was she was a big flirt as a character yeah i mean you know, nowadays, I don't think we would have done that since Logan right. was an adult. But back then, it seemed harmless that she would, you know, flirt with him a little bit. But, you know, also, I mean, it kind of definitely gives you that bad girl vibe, which is what we were trying to do. Whereas it's like she doesn't have any restrictions on what she does. I think that was a normal thing, though, even in real life at the time for like someone younger to kind of have a little bit of attraction for someone older. The other way would have been no problem. (laughs) Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, Yeah. without a doubt. I do love in this in this sequence though that Boom Boom and Nightcrawler are both driving not only Logan but Cyclops crazy, and we always have this joke in our show with the '92 series that Cyclops is kind of an a hole even when he doesn't have to be. I feel like we're starting to see the origin of that. I'm, I might be wrong because we're very early in the show, but I'm like if this happens to him every day before school, I could see Cyclops becoming like really rigid and mean to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be. I mean, that wasn't our intent. We, we just wanted to make him likable, and so running him down. If- Every now and then seemed to be a good way to do that. And, you know, when I talk to some of the fans, I hear a lot that this is the only version of Cyclops that anyone likes. You know, I could say that. I could see it. Because he has sympathetic moments in this show. He has his, like, Willie Loman vibe, whereas, like, other versions of Cyclops, he's already the, like, full-blown Boy Scout leader. This, This you get to see him evolve, at least so. Yeah. No, he's got his ups and downs on this show. Definitely. So Boom Boom gets into the basket and gets lowered down. Like we said, we've only seen these 15 episodes so far. She is by far the biggest personality of the show so far, I feel like, in just how over the top she is and stuff like that. Did you guys feel like there was something different with her? Because I, the only thing I've spoiled for myself is I saw she's in a lot of episodes. That's the only thing I know about her. Was she kind of like an instant, oh, we could have a lot of fun with this character kind of vibe? Yeah, and I think, like I said, we had tried to put her in season one because we liked the idea of that character, and we knew that there was something to do with her, and we carried that through, you know, and we, we all liked her, and I especially, if, when people asked me who my favorite character was, I tend to go to her, right. uh, because she had a lot of interesting storylines, and she had an interesting background that I think we could have explored even more. We didn't, but we mm-hmm. could explored that more. I, I think now if we were to do it, we would have made it even darker. Now it's just while well, our dad likes to steal shit and use her to do it. But I think we would have gone even darker with it if we could have. Of course, yep. you know, Kids WB may not have let us, but... You know, <laughs> That's yeah. interesting. I was actually thinking of, like, how serious this got for a kid's show, especially this one, because this one was more, you know, Evolution is more of, like, the high school drama stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. like, the biggest thing that happened just outside the superhero journeys. We're like, oh, that boy doesn't like me, and I didn't get to lead the musical. 
but this one, you know, man, I'm guessing this was on purpose. Is uh, such a big positive personality came from like a really rough home life. No, that was all part of it. Yeah. Outside of both shows, I'm not familiar with Boom Boom. John's actually been the one catching me up on her. She's got to be like one of the most '90s like characters, you know, just sure. everything. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. When you, when you actually go back to like the X Force comics, which was now I'm going back and, and seeing that I'm like, oh wow, she was '90s to a '90s T. Like there's there's no other way to look at that character. So. Yeah. Now she just is an alcoholic and swears a lot at Jubilee, which I also love. So she's, yeah, she's, I've seen a few of those lately. Yeah. The executioner stuff, because me and a few friends actually, we did that cosplay at San Diego and we're on the Marvel stage from that one. So yeah, they killed it. So the entire time Boom Boom is down there, she is not taking it seriously, not doing the things that she's supposed to, pulls Kurt onto the sled and he just decides, oh, well, she didn't hook me in. So I'm just going to roll off. And I was like, is he waiting for her to save or is he going to do his little teleport thing back? I was curious how she was going to react to it. So they keep flirting. He pops back up. She yells to Wolverine, but calls him Badger. And obviously this is something that I'm the one who's going to pick up on it because I'm still reading the comics week in, week out on this. Honey Badger is the clone of X-23, which one of the only things I knew from a story perspective is that Laura gets created in evolution yeah but she doesn't get great we there was no x-23 at this point right and obviously so no honey badger so yeah that was just i don't know if the comic people picked up on that and stored it away for later use you know or calling him that or not or yeah because you know, coincidence honey badger slash gabby was not actually put into the comics until i think i looked it up as 2015 so oh, wow Yeah, but it was just like one of those things where when you read comics long enough, you start to connect dots that definitely weren't intentional at a lot of times. Well, we did a lot of that on the show, too. I mean, we we connected dots that hadn't been connected, which are now part of the whole thing is, you know, we connected Weapon X to the Super Soldier program and, you know, things like that. But, you know, it's like, well, the dots seem to be there. Why didn't anyone connect them before? And we did. So, you know. This whole sequence with, with Boom Boom, just like naming everyone incorrectly. It's kind of like, I think it was in the She-Hulk series where they find all the bootleg Avengers stuff and it's the mm-hmm. Avengers. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, sure. I forget some of the one names she had for Nightcrawler, but she's like, let me rename you. That doesn't make any uh, sense. Wild Blue Yonder <laughs> Boy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, which is horrible to try to say when you're in the field on a mission to try to get that whole name out. Yeah, you're already shot by the time you get halfway through your name. Watch out while... Oh, nope, he's done. Yep, and he's done. <laughs> so they're not taking things seriously and as they're going up, she's doing her little mini... So in the comics, I've heard them just literally referred to as booms. Did you guys have a name for when she did her little explosion of what that might have been called? Well, we were just calling them bombs. I think. Okay. I don't think we were doing anything specific. So she does the little mini bombs and they start rocking and... Kurt ends up hitting his head on the side of the cliff, ends up knocking himself out, falls into the water. And then you get a, you know, cut to the start of the show. You guys did such a great job of utilizing the commercial break and the, you know, the breaks into the opening compared to so many other shows at the time. You guys would always give that great cliffhanger that... I think gets lost in the streaming era because you don't have that three and a half minute wait in between to see how it resolves. Yeah, that's definitely. I mean, if you knew what you were doing, the commercial breaks 
could work for you. Right. So we come back from the animated intro. Kurt is falling. Boom Boom acts like he's just joking. She doesn't realize how serious it actually is. And then we get a great action sequence with Cyclops shooting the rocks out from under it. And then Wolverine dives in and saves. Because of the first season, I was expecting it to be Gene with the telekinetic, but I like that that's not the solve for everything too. Cause it seems like it's such an easy way to, to solve that scenario. Yeah. We are definitely trying to keep Gene in reserve for later <laughs> episodes. Mm-hmm. So. Also like Logan's like the adult in charge. He's like, Oh God, oh, yeah. <laughs> These damn not, kids. it's not even 8 AM yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, he hasn't had enough coffee and he just does not want to be there. Well, we also talked about this on the previous episode. These kids do a ton of training before they go to school in the Kitty pride episode where we find out the weapon X stuff. She had to easily be up for an hour and a half before she even went to school that day. You guys put these kids through the gauntlet every morning. <laughs> no, we had the fun of time to give, training room stuff and the yeah. Room and so, yeah i guess if you're not on like the football team you don't have to be there for drills at 6 30 in the morning so True. xavier was able to do his own yeah I, th- I think that was probably our understanding of it or thinking that or justification of it is that it wouldn't be any different if they were in marching band or drill team or football or any of the other sports it'd be there pretty early so we start to get voiceover from xavier and then it pops into a meeting room or the danger room or something and he's scolding one of the things that rod and i have been talking about is this is a very very different version of charles by comparison this one operates a little more in the shades of gray with somewhat of a military vibe to him versus the everything is good happy xavier so do you mind sharing a little bit of your thoughts on like why you guys took the route that you did with with charles well we wanted to have a, an adult in the room even with i don't think i would consider Wolverine an adult right <laughs> I mean, you know he was still someone who needed to be told the right, what was right and what was wrong and so we needed someone the authoritarian you know basically the principal or the you know but not so it seemed and plus we knew because when we were working on the show the, the first movie was being made mm-hmm. the first season of the show the movie was being made so we knew it was patrick stewart and you know the character design was basically based on that too so we kind of had a feel for what we were doing with it and i think Boyd wanted to lean into his next generation persona a little bit Right, right. Picard and stuff. So, you know, I think there was that going for us. And plus, we just need to have a contrast. Yeah. We wanted to have the kids very loose and free, and we needed someone. And we didn't want to make Scott the stick up his ass character, <laughs> so we made it Professor X, you know. The one we, like, vilified named this podcast after. <laughs> sure. So, you know, as... Professor gives a speech in front of all the kids, including the new recruits who we're still meeting as these episodes are going by. Basically, two-week punishment, you know, not allowed to do anything outside of school, no use of powers at all, and then they have to do two trainings per day with Logan. And I love how that's been interspersed throughout the series as a punishment is you have to train with Logan. Like, you guys have hit that, I want to say, five or six times across these episodes. Is it just that he's such a taskmaster? Like, what's, what's the like are they just genuinely scared because they don't know enough about this guy what's what's the vibe on that well you know i think we kind of wanted to leave that to the imagination of the audience but you know i always assumed it was like you don't want to train with him because he's just a pain in the ass and he's going to take it to a level that you don't want to work at right it's not going to be a fun training it's going to be you know He's the drill sergeant from hell. It's why they literally went to a survival camp rather than train with him. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I had those coaches in high school too. <laughs> 
So Boom Boom is ready to protest and Nightcrawler just kind of, thank you, sir, may I have another and just accepts the the punishment because he doesn't want it to get worse. Yeah, I feel like Nightcrawler's been punished before as he knows how it goes. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was so like really He free had a full and, semester, so. Yeah, he was the goofball before this. So. No, he'll be the goofball later too, as you see, yeah. but yeah. Yep. But yeah, he, he, he wants to tell the line when he can. Plus, he's German, so. Right. So we pop over and for the first time we actually see the Brotherhood of Bayville boarding house and it is every frat house turned up to an 11 I think is the best way to describe what you guys gave us there from a visual perspective. Right. And Toad is literally eating flies off the the trash can. Quicksilver runs in, can't find any food and Toad's like, "Yeah, we need some some coin." And I'm the only thing I would say is I'm shocked that Toad hasn't just been robbing people constantly. He seems like the guy who would be doing that. Well, that's how we showed him in the very first episode. But yeah, yeah. But maybe he learned his lesson. I don't know. Yeah, And then we get a little more insight after the season finale from season one, where Toad tries to break into one of the doors. You find out it's Mystique's room. He can't get through it. And Quicksilver says, well, what happens when Mystique shows up? And it sounds like he's still in denial a little bit about what happened, whereas Toad is like, no, she's gone. She's not coming back. And I don't know if maybe I'm reading too far into this. It's Toad has felt abandonment before, so he isn't shocked by an adult abandoning, whereas Quicksilver had some abandonment, and then Magneto came back into his life, so he has that hope that maybe Mystique will do the same. Yeah, that probably is not a bad read. I'm not sure that that was what we were consciously thinking of, but right. yeah, it, probably not a bad take on it. I mean, most of what we do is we give random takes and then seven <laughs> episodes later, we find out if we were right or wrong. So that's our whole MO here. Well, so. And also, I mean, as you get further in, once Wander is introduced and stuff, you see that there's a whole series of family issues and stuff. Yeah. You can see why Pietro might be behaving the way he is. I, I love the showing of this boarding house kind of filled in a lot of blanks about the brotherhood from the first season for for us because like we're like yeah they're why are they still all hanging out together at school for the show obviously otherwise these are all kind of like chaotic personalities you know and stuff and if they live together that makes so much more sense you know like there's a lot of little things you know anybody's had roommates even if you hate them like you're bonded in a certain way really i this made me more empathetic to mystique she had to live with a bunch of disgusting teenage boys so i was like okay i get your villain origin story now <laughs> but to your point though rod even Blob is like, look, I don't really like you, but I don't want you to get hurt. So I think it kind of yeah. goes to that of like, you're stuck in that bonding experience, whether or not you enjoy who your roommates are. Yeah. Well, and you want to have family, even if it's awful family. You know, you know yeah. they're just trying to grab onto anyone they can. So. so we jump over to the high school and you see that there's a fundraiser that night is going to be a carnival and it's to help recoup the costs of the gymnasium. We find out that had happened a month prior and that's all from the principal just kind of giving that great exposition. We see the principal telling the secretary, you know, make sure throughout the night, keep throwing money into the safe. I do question the design of the principal's office. Not the most secure spot to put a safe, in my own personal opinion. I'm sure that's not wrong. <laughs> Sometimes you, you have to take cartoon license. Of course. So yeah, um, I, love the, I love the setup though. It's easy to yeah. like digest because we we see a lot of that stuff, you know, especially in shows at that time. I'm sure even now, where it's like like here in the safe is all the money we've raised over the last 20 yeah. years. You know, like real clear, easy target. At that point, we meet Tabitha's dad. Shows up and is looking to just see his daughter. You could tell something's already up because, you know, 
she was at the Institute. He was not there or involved in any way. And then you hear that there's a restricted list. And I feel like in that era, schools were way looser with releasing a child to a parent and such, you know, 23 years later, still, it, it, it is kind of shocking to me hearing that, like, you guys were very forward thinking, I guess, in how, you know, parents could hop into a school and just ask for their kid, you know? Yeah, I mean, you, that time, anyone could have picked up your kid probably wouldn't have been a problem. But nowadays, obviously, yep. but, you know, so I don't know if that stemmed from someone's understanding of how it was working. At that time, and maybe their particular school with their kids or something, or just thought this was a good way to set up that he's not welcome. So. I was going to say something similar. Like, you know, like I remember getting picked up by like a different, you know, babysitter, parent, friend of a parent, like my mom's coworker's friend's daughter or something. You know, there's but, no proof that she actually knows who you are. Yeah, no, there's like you. Okay, come on. And then we wouldn't question either. But to your guys' credit, whoever had that, it came up with that that kind of a story point in my experience it was actually kind of accurate because there was a girl at my school and her father was very very similar to this father it was a problematic estranged person in the family this girl i went to school with she was the only one that had a restricted guest list very exactly like that like so if she couldn't she was the only one of the, and i remember specifically because she was the only one of us that couldn't just like go on the bus office had a check like a very specific person picked her up and things so like i was like oh wow okay this is, this is right on the on the money also i'm gonna be kind of embarrassingly honest here i thought this was a peyton manning cameo <laughs> i was like wait boom boom's dad's peyton it just looks so much like him at least to me i don't watch sports but no one can't especially that time but yeah <laughs> Sure. Maybe I'm not a sports guy whatsoever. Either, yeah, maybe. So. <laughs> I, I can't tell you exactly where that particular design came from. I'm not even sure so if that's the right timeline. No, I don't. I don't I think it is. It's probably not. I want to say that was like the Tom Brady era, like Tom probably. Brady's start of his rise. But I don't think Peyton would have even been on people's radar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. I was like, this timeline is probably totally wrong. Jump over. We see Boom Boom. She is unable to get into her locker, and quickly we see she is not adhering to Xavier's rule of no powers and uses one of her. Little little mini explosions to blow it up and then reveals it wasn't even the right locker. Yeah, I mean, she just broke all any rules and she didn't give a crap. It was just all fun and games with her, and which is in contrast to how she was raised. But also, I mean, what we were trying to do was set up that, you know, if you remember all the other parents from the other families that were dropping kids off or whatever, we seem to be very good with their kid, you know, the kitty family, the yep. pride family and stuff. I don't think we showed Gene's family at this point. Not yet, no. Yeah, but I mean, they're all loving and supportive and whatnot, and we don't want them to go the extreme opposite with Boom Boom. So. Right, and she becomes the zero Fs given kid who's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, wrong locker. I'm just going to steal Kurt's book and his lunch instead. I will say, and obviously this was, you know, looking back, the team from Riverdale definitely got inspiration from this version of Kurt. There's there's no doubt in my mind there was <laughs> some bit of Kurt in that character. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, you know, I, I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me. I, I only watched a few episodes of that. Just the stuffing his face full of cheeseburgers and the visual vibe for him it totally gave me jughead vibes. So Yeah, it could be. Or I mean, or maybe we were riffing off of the original Jughead. We did some of that in the comics too. I don't know. You you guys were the missing link between <laughs> the two versions of Jughead. That could be. So as Boom Boom is running to Clash, she sees her dad. He 
you know, says, you know, it's been taking him two months to track her down. And I, I think it's wild because back in the day, that's literally what it would take to track a person because we can't just look at somebody's Instagram and see where they're going to be every moment of the day. So, sure. yeah, th- there's also even in this episode a reference to pay phones, which like I can't tell you the last time I saw a pay phone in <laughs> person. I always love kind of those like you know, we were the last generation that saw some of this stuff happen, so. Yeah, boy, and when I think about, gee, if we had cell phones to use in X-Men Evolution, that would have been a whole different type of show. It's one thing when it's like, oh, when you're in uniform and you have a communicator on your uniform right. or you're wearing the headset, but it's like, no, if you just had a cell phone, you the dynamic completely changes. Sure. Dad says he just wants to talk. Boom Boom's heard it all before, doesn't want to deal with it. And the dad says they just want to try to make things work. And she walks away and she goes ahead and she's like, yeah, try. I was like, okay, that's very different than the lighthearted Boom Boom we've seen for this first part of the episode. Yeah, definitely the smiles hiding the tears type of thing. Mm -hmm. She's dealt with her dad before, you know, even at this young age, because she's got to be what, like 14, 15 or something at this point. Yeah. Like it's so. kind of so. Is it really sad to think like someone that young has like gone through this cycle a couple times <laughs> with their parents? And also, isn't it, it's kind of like the shorthand for people who pretend to be good but aren't really when they're just like, I just want to talk. Yeah, I just want yeah. to talk. It's like okay, well, yeah, you know well, yeah, yeah. I, I think if we were to have done that episode now, we probably would have made it a foster kid or something. With whether it was her actual father or a foster parent who's misusing her or something, I think we would have gone further with it because that still. Feels a little. Yeah, he's trying to get back with his wife, and so it still feels a little safe and it's family oriented than it probably should be for that type yeah. of situation. Right. Jump over. We're in the cafeteria, and we see Jean with Duncan. And this is something we've kind of been speculating back and forth: is like, are Jean and Duncan a thing, or are they just kind of like on their way to becoming a thing? And Cyclops just hasn't accepted it yet. Yeah, you know that. I'd have to watch it probably up to this point, but I suspect that we our feelings that that was they were boyfriend and girlfriend at that point, mm-hmm. and that Scott still thought there was a chance for him. And I gather is this the first time that he got together with Taryn? Yes. Yep. Yeah. This is the so, first episode with it. Poor girl. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah. She keeps getting she keeps getting third wheeled from the third wheel. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I do. I do love when Rod watched the first time we saw Taryn. He definitely thought her name was Karen. Karen. Yeah. <laughs> so when Rod watches the episodes, he does it with the captions on, and sometimes the caption will actually get the name wrong, which totally messes with him too. Oh sure. It named Blob like Quab or something yeah. last episode, and I was like. Was that his real that his like, government no, name? His real, real name is okay. Fred. <laughs> okay, yeah. Close. Close. Yeah. And there was another time Logan clearly calls Nightcrawler little elf, but whoever captioned it, Logan called Nightcrawler an oaf. It was like, <laughs> completely different meaning. But both kind of worked in that sense. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So even though we see Gene is at Duncan's table, Scott is trying to cheer up Nightcrawler. You can tell he's down because he's going to miss the carnival and such. He's like, well, you know, it's not like you had a date or anything. Oh, and then Nightcrawler literally just throws it right back. He's like, well, are you taking anyone to it? And then we see sad Scott. And I think to what we were talking about earlier, Stephen, where there are empathetic moments to Scott in this series where the other version of Scott was only when Gene was thought to be dead. That was the only time you really ever felt bad for Scott. It's like, okay, he lost the love of his life or the love of his life is kidnapped. But he was always 
kind of winning and already an asshole yeah. in those other yeah. options. And what did he do to deserve Gene other than being the leader of the team back then anyway? So. I feel like you might be the head of a Wolverine <laughs> fan club with a statement like that. <laughs> no, actually, I, I always thought that was creepy, too. Right. So. But, you know, frankly, if you look at the original comic, the first comics with X-Men, back when mm-hmm. Stan and Jack were doing them, it's right. creepy as all hell. So, Professor X is lusting after Gene, too. So. <laughs> oh, no. So Rod has never read X-Men number one or the X-Men number one from Jim Lee. So mm-hmm. for his birthday, those were two of his gifts, is reprints of those. So Rod <laughs> will experience that for the first time. Yep, I got it right here. I, I want to like set up a camera and just record me reading these in real time oh, so you can just get my you, reactions. You will be stuff. astounded some of the weird stuff in the Kirby Lee. I totally believe it because I watch movies that I liked in the early 2000s and I'm like, oh. Now go back to 1960. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is like, oh, let's go watch Gene Change. Oh, gosh. Why? And this isn't a comic. So Boom Boom walks in. Nightcrawler gets her attention. She drops off his social studies book, which she has doodled all over. She tries to take his soda. And I will give Kirk credit. He actually didn't do like the total puppy dog moment of giving up his soda. He's like, no, the vending machine's over there. So at least Kurt had a spine for, for parts of this. Yeah. Sure. It, it felt what, more real, you know? I was going to ask, was that more of a confidence thing or more of an aloof thing? I couldn't tell if he, if he was like, yeah, no, over there. Or if he, if he was like, oh, that's great. You like it too? You can I get think, more over there. I think we, or at least I thought of it as that he doesn't realize that she's hitting on him. Okay. That, so that he, was me in high school. Yeah, just completely... Yeah, okay, you want a soda? I mean, the, the obvious thing, if you thought the girl liked you, you'd give her your soda. He, right. couldn't fit, he couldn't put two and two together. Not that she liked him, per se, other than what she could use for it, probably, but still. Right. Well, that was the thing, when she saw the doodles on his book, he was like, oh, she likes me, she drew on it for me. I did also love, on the book, she wrote The Festering Boils, which has now been referenced in three different episodes of this the show, I want to say. Great name for a band and and loved loved it just being scrolled on top of his social studies book. I don't know what school was like for you, Stephen, but in but my school, we had to sell our books back at the end of the year. So you were losing money if you destroyed the cover of your book. Yeah, we didn't sell them back. We gave them back. But yeah, you, you would be fined, I think, if you had done that to a book. Yeah, we, we were the setup where you'd buy the book at the beginning of the year as essentially like the safety deposit. So if you lost the book completely, you weren't getting a dollar back. So mm-hmm. yeah, you had more of like a collegiate setup, right? We were a Jesuit high school, so you know we we just were like yeah, very very by the book with you know Catholics rules. So yeah, we we had our similar to Stephen, like we had we had the books, and then we had to check them. I mean, of course, we doodled them a little bit. But as long as you didn't like just draw a penis across the cover, like you're usually pretty good. Right. Yeah, we would draw that on the chalkboard. So we could, <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. We definitely, we definitely had like add a goatee to the Sphinx in the geography book or something, you know, like that kind of thing. So she walks away. Kurt is definitely full of himself. And he says, chicks dig the fuzzy man. I, I don't think I've ever read him calling himself that in the comics, but that being teenage Kurt's like nickname for himself, kind of love it because only a teenager would call themselves that and think it's cool yeah that was another close captioning goof the oh. caption said 
everybody loves Fozzie Man. And I was nope. like, Wait, they made a Muppets? <laughs> what an odd thing for him to say. So Kurt is doing a little bit of the puppy dog about her. Is like, yeah, she's kind of funny. And Cyclops is, yeah, kind of funny for somebody who almost got you killed. <laughs> but he's That's also he now in her. sad sack Scott mode because he just saw Gene with Duncan. So. If if we're still covering evolution by April, hopefully not. Like we should do like the math. Fools. The math will work out if, regardless of if ninety seven comes out in between. Oh, okay, okay, yep. sure. But I, I think it'd be fun for April Fools to do like our podcast, but like cross out Cyclops is like Duncan is waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> just just oh, tables have flipped now. So we have a bad habit of saying we're going to do something on a future episode or ask so-and-so on a future episode whenever we talk to them. We never remember to actually do it. Nope. So I could bet money we will not remember to do that on April no. 1st unless somebody tells us to do it. Or or you'll see it like April 3rd when I remember or hear that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that thing. So... Boom Boom heads over to the soda machine. Lance is actually getting himself a free soda. He does like one of his little mini quakes, makes it pop out. And Boom Boom has to one up him because I think he says like, oh, what do you think of my technique? So she just basically destroys the soda machine. She's got like turned on. And he's like, oh, yeah, you would fit right in with with our house. And she's like, no, I'm good. And then he gets like excited because he's like, oh, we could steal a lot of coins with her because he doesn't think big enough is the vibe I always get from Lance. Yeah, they're all pretty low rent. So we jump back over. Mr. Smith is at the Institute, does his back and forth with Xavier. Xavier's like, yeah, the mom gave pretty explicit instructions that you weren't allowed to be near Tabby. And then we didn't really realize for sure until the last episode that mutants, or sorry, the end of season one, that mutants were not known basically at all, that they were closer to urban legends and... Sabretooth being confused as Bigfoot, any of the big incidents being covered up by Storm in the fog and such. And he basically threatens to just out the mutants to the world to talk to his daughter. Yeah. What was the the vibe with the creative around keeping mutants as secret as possible up until this point? Well, I mean, we wanted to play that out as long as we could because we knew that allowed us to have them interact with regular people. The regular yep. kids in the hospital. And that's kind of, was kind of our goal. The minute we outed them, we knew that it would take a different direction. So we tried to right. keep that maintained as long as we could. And you only get to put that genie in the bottle back in once. And you guys right. did that in the season two premiere because Xavier mind wipes the entire football field. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the, the overall fix, you know, like I can fix it. He is way more aggressive with mind wiping people than I think we were expecting. <laughs> so we also get one of the most aggressive moments from Logan outside of his interactions with Sabretooth because Mr. Smith puts his hands on Charles and Logan basically says, I will cut off your hands and put them in a jar in my room. I think that might be the most graphic any of the X-Men animated shows have ever gotten. Up to up to this episode, oh, I yeah. completely think that's <laughs> the most graphic description that's made it in. Yeah, we, you know, we weren't allowed to have him stab any human or anything like that or cut yep. anything, but... We're somehow able to sneak that in, you know, the graphic description. It seemed real, though, you know, because like sometimes we could tell when sensors intervened. We're like, wait, you just threatened a child and you just say, like, I'm going to sock you to the moon, bub, or whatever. But like this one's like, no, I will end you. Yeah. You know? yeah. Not not only am I going to cut your hands off, I'm going to keep them as a souvenir. Right. <laughs> Next to the others. Yeah. Boom, boom. And Kurt return after school. And he just wants her to hear about. And we get further insight into their relationship that, you know, things are 
are starting to get better between him and the mom. Obviously, we know that's a load of crap, but she can come home once the creditors are off his back. And that's that's essentially Boom Boom seeing through his BS. Sure. Emotional blackmail and whatnot. Right. And then he, he adds in the, well, the money is more for your mother than it is for me. And like like you said there perfectly, it's it's the emotional blackmail. And he's like, you know, just do this one thing. And she she tries to cut a deal with him of like, all right, I'll do, you know, the one last heist. And if it's not she's going to get out of the game, it's she's going to get him out of her life. Right. So. Yeah, she definitely wanted to distance herself. Cuts over to the evening. Kurt is on his balcony. I feel like everybody loves balconies in this show. We had people like climb up and scare Kurt. Kurt scared somebody in the first season. Everybody loves messing with balconies in this show. Yeah, it was a kind of a fun little device, you know. It's, I mean, it fits the mansion, obviously, and also gives us a little more something to do other than walking around in the hallways and this going up downstairs and whatnot. So yeah, and also we talked about it in the the first season. Kurt got an amazing room when he got into the mansion. He had big room, didn't have to share it with anybody. Had a beautiful sound system in there for him and everything. Here's the catch. You know, the professor wanted to make him happy. But I guess if somebody's going to travel literally across the Atlantic Ocean to go to your school, you can't give them a very tiny room. Not like, you know, the girl from Chicago or the, you know, the girl from the swamps. You could shove them in a room together. So. Exactly, yes. So Boom Boom basically gets Kurt to break curfew, go over to the carnival. And she's like, yeah, just one ride. And he's like, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. Smash cut to there on, I've heard 700 different names for it. I think you guys called it the something spider in the show. And I thought somebody was going to get really injured at that point. I'm not going to lie. Because like, <laughs> you hear all these horror stories about, you know, these rides that are old and broken and you know haven't had maintenance on them in for forever and she literally blew up the control panel for it yeah cartoon license people just get sick to the stomach and somehow blowing it up makes it go faster and then luckily he had the basically power plugs right next to him rip those out and then everybody is sick to their stomach except i feel like Boom Boom and Kurt were like, no, no, we're okay. We're just like kind of like drunkish stumbling and we have to lean against each other so we don't fall over. Yeah. Scenario. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about no one else was expecting it and they knew it was happening. So, you know, in theory. They've had to train with Logan. (laughs) Yes, they've had to train with Logan. Logan has definitely just grabbed Kurt and just spun around in a circle by holding his tail. I guarantee that. Sure. So they proceed to predict what YouTube pranking would be if you had mutant powers by messing with the entire carnival. And Rod and I have had our share of being in YouTube prank videos. And I got anxiety watching the pranks because I know how it is in real life. I couldn't imagine people with powers trying to do that to other people at that point. And like actual destruction too. Like blowing stuff up. Although I did really appreciate the one like random guy's girlfriend just cracking up at him when the stuffed animal blew up. Also, why was he the one carrying around the big bird? I feel like she should have been the one carrying well, it. That just tells me. I was going to say oh, she wanted there you go. I, I was just like, oh, she didn't like it that much. I like your theory way, way better, Steven. So they go around. They are near Blob and she literally does the perfect toss and blows up Blob's hot dog. And I feel like that is the worst thing you could do to Blob. Like that is 
that is a personal affront to him. But they see Boom Boom and Nightcrawler as they're running away. You also get a quick moment where I feel like she let down the armor a little bit, where she feels like Kurt's power is so lucky. And I, I'm, I don't know. I would love to hear your thoughts as to why that's the lucky one when she has this power that she's doing lots of great stuff with. What what makes Kurt feel so lucky? Well, I, I'm gathering that she feels that being able to disappear and go anywhere else is, right. is a great power. I suppose I mean, she, all she can do is blow things up. It's not a lot different than throwing rocks and things or, you know, or, you know, explosives, I guess. Right, right. Hers is much more grounded in what someone could do, whereas his is just you know, wildly interesting. I mean, you could teleport from one place to another, which I'm sure she would love to do. You know, probably would right. love to do that as a kid to get away from her family and stuff. Yeah, it, he he literally has a built-in escape where she yeah. feels like she's a little more of somebody's tool to be a safe cracker and stuff right. like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she she can't get away from something. I mean, this is probably the best thing that's ever happened to her is getting you into the mansion and getting away from her family. So, you know, she would probably love to be a kid as a little kid. So you guys are yelling and screaming in the next room. I'm going to someone else's house. Or, you know, so. It's very grass is greener on the other side situation. Well, oh, sure. And it, yeah. It's more defined with all these power sets, you know, because I know it just is even as people, as adults or whatever, but especially as kids, you always kind of like envy that what you don't have necessarily we jump over and then we see sad cyclops on the ferris wheel by himself <laughs> which here's the thing i get if you're going solo to a carnival you want to do fun stuff that is just like pre-emo phase of like i'm so sad i'm gonna ride this by myself like he almost intentionally put himself in that scenario yeah, i felt like i'm pathetic yes and then taryn walks up and is like hey let me ride with you scott's like oh weren't you with duncan and gene she's like yeah I was the third wheel and I was like is Scott okay now is he feeling Taryn or is this a like hmm if I hang out with Taryn maybe that'll get Gene's attention because every one of us in high school was stupid enough to think that would work too hang out sure. with their friend and it gets their attention just like I'll be friends with that girl maybe she'll eventually think I'm dating material <laughs> I was actually kind of wondering if this was the early hints of Taryn might have a thing for Scott and Scott's just aloof as well he's like well your orange soda's over there yeah no if you keep <laughs> watching it they, they do become yeah. more or less a couple I think okay so I, I was reading that correctly yeah. or maybe like, I'm oh. just misremembering it but I seem to recall, we always thought of them as a couple so you know whether so, that was intended by Scott to worm his way into Gene's company or not I don't know I don't recall that being talked about. Gene is with Duncan. She actually sees Scott with Taryn and it's like, all right, are we going to get a little bit of jealousy? We'll find out. Obviously, not as jealous as Rod and I were, were reading it. <laughs> well, maybe she's um, jealous of Taryn. No. Yeah. So Scott is kind of paying attention, kind of not, but he sees from the air Kurt and Boom Boom. And obviously, he's a disappointed in Kurt because this Scott is not rebellious in any way. So he's like, oh, he's breaking the rules. I got to, you know, I got to be the, the big brother and, and calm him back down kind of mm -hmm. scenario. Boom Boom then sees her dad and tells Kurt to go meet her in the arcade. And it's at that point that they realize that they've been there for two hours instead <laughs> of one ride. But she uses her charm and is basically like, no, no, it's fine. We it's five more minutes. We've already broken the rules. Why does five more minutes matter? And in teenage logic, always works. I've never seen that argument lose when I was a teenager. Oh, so. sure, sure. 
Because if you're already in trouble, then what's five more minutes make a difference? So, yeah, how much more in trouble can you get? Yeah. Boom Boom is with her dad walking towards the school. Lance and Blob see it. They start to follow. And Boom Boom is like, all right, cool. Let's just do this. Get it over with. I can hit up a few pay phones and video games. And the dad's like, no, we got something bigger. And they proceed to go towards the vault in the school. The dad's body language when she was at the mansion, I thought he was going to have her like loot the, the institute, you know. But, uh, oh, when he's picking up the book in the yeah. library, yes. But, yeah. that, that was sort of the impression we wanted to give across is, is that he was trying to decide if there was a, some play in here that he could do. So Lance over here is the, the plan. At that point, Nightcrawler pops out of the arcade, sees that Boom Boom is with her dad. He knows something is up because he saw the interaction with them earlier and he runs to go find Boom Boom, pops open the door and they trip the alarm. They probably should have started moving faster. <laughs> Boom Boom doesn't have that criminal mastermind like her dad does yet. No, certainly not. So they hit the safe and they start to run out and that's where they get intercepted by Toad. I love how the Brotherhood made sure that they were like in uniform. You know, they're going to cause trouble beyond brand. You know? That's right. You didn't want anyone thinking they were some wrong characters. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not the X-Men. And this way, no one knows it's actually Todd when he's wearing his toad out there. You know, right. Oh, no is that so? It's a very like it's a Clark Kent kind yeah, of. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, I get. Oh, you know what? Okay, that makes sense now. Would you mind chatting a little bit about the design for the Brotherhood? Because I think aside from Rogue, the X-Men uniforms were very reminiscent of their traditional look but the brotherhood for three of the four were very different than what we had seen for any of them in the past from comics or animation i'd say quicksilver was the one who was closest but the others yeah. were all pretty divergent yeah you know a lot of it has to do with the fact that I didn't like any of the uniforms or the costumes i mean it definitely did not like toad in that weird the court jester one yeah the yeah. court jester thing or whatever he had going on and stuff so we kind of just did what we wanted to do kind of play around with different things we would kind of make him look sort of his shape sort of toad-like so yep. we gave him that big weird you know, thing in the back and the collar or whatever and, and then put- blob even though he was still in civilian style stuff he went from you know the farm boy he looked almost like a what was the character billy bob from varsity blues to that was, like tough biker vibe that's who we based him on is oh, it really yes. we actually yeah. said that in a previous yeah we episode. said that in a previous episode so <laughs> love that yeah sure that's awesome. a popular character because i where, where i referenced him in the earlier episodes like that guy played his own parody and not another teen movie uh, did he so like now this yeah. is like a double like, this is the second inspiration that he's had on this iconic yeah so they end up chasing toad who has grabbed the money and they're in the destroyed gym you see Lance and Blob in there. Lance decides to throw a dig back at Boom Boom, saying that he is unimpressed by her technique. The dad gets frustrated, starts yelling at Boom Boom to get the money back. And at that point, Scott blows a hole in the wall. And this this is the closest Scott has felt to 92, where he's just shooting through walls. Just for the hell of it, yeah. Yeah, and then he's with Gene and with Spike as well. And then we start to get some of the really, really great fight animations here. Like, usually it's one or two moves per people, but it felt like there was a lot of thought in the fight choreo of Evolution in particular. Regardless of the episode, there's it's more thoughtful planning with who is doing what to who in these different episodes. Yeah, I, I think there was an intent of, you know, matching characters up specifically and giving them a reason to be doing stuff so that they weren't just 
you know, hitting each other. You know, it, my, my feeling, about, and probably the, some of the other people on the show too, the feeling about the first series was that it's basically about hitting each other, mm-hmm. blowing stuff up and banging on each other's head and stuff, whereas ours was, the fighting was an afterthought. It was more about the characters and personalities and stuff and the relationships. And when they did fight, it was for a re- relatively good reason, and it wasn't just hitting. It was right. just, you know, not people just not slugging it out and stuff. Yeah, so, and it, and they were basically playing hot potato with the money bag. It was yeah. going from one person to the next, and that's the focus of it. So at one point, Scott gets the bag, and Blob just completely swan dives onto him. And I actually wrote, dead Scott, question mark, <laughs> and then immediately he zaps up and shoots Blob into the air. So sure. yeah, you get some cool shots with Spike, who spikes the bag. It ends up near the basketball hoop. Kurt jumps over there. And then, you know, the dad ends up grabbing the bag and then runs off. Cyclops wants to give chase. And Tabitha says, nope, stay behind. I will go and get him. And that's where we we see she's over her dad's bullshit at this point. She's trying to own it. They get up to the roof. The dad starts to go through, starts breaking through the floor. She puts her hand out, you know, and she actually calls him daddy. And that that felt like that very, you know, just her her being completely vulnerable at that point. She reverted back to wherever she was as a five or six year old is, yeah. is how I interpreted that. And then the dad rejects the offer. Right. And it, it felt like the, the deal was sealed with their relationship the second that happened. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad that got across. I think, like I said, if we were to do it now, I think we would have seen him even uglier in that moment. Where right. Just like a piece of, you know, you never. You could good. say, you you know, say it here if you want. We do yeah. curse, so don't, oh, sure. you don't feel no, like I'm, you have to. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have done it for the show. But, you know, it would have been of course. basically saying you never were any good. Now you, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think really I think that came hard on her. Yeah, I think that came through. Like I, I saw it as like he was like the PG thirteen version of a crackhead. You yeah, know, like because sure. he, he chose he chose the money for whatever it was going to get him. I I got to read that he had some sort of addiction, whether it be like substances or gambling or whatever sure. you know, or something. Because it sounded like this money wasn't going to be the fix that he. I mean, obviously it wasn't going to be the fix, but like it wasn't even going to patch the thing that he said he thought it was going to patch. And he was willing to sacrifice what's left of his family. Or creditors it. is the nice yeah. way of saying the mafia that you owe the money to. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. So I, I'm glad that type of thing got across because, like I said, I think now we would have been a lot more black and white about right. it. But but it's nice that the subtlety came through, even though we couldn't get black and white. Yeah, totally. Because yeah, he, he he chose death kind of too because yeah. he was like in grave danger. Yeah, like, he was falling. literally falling through, <laughs> and he's like, "I want the money so that way, if I don't, you know, crack my ankles when we land." So unfortunately for them, the ceiling does continue to fall. Boom, boom gets caught in it, but. Kurt saves both of them. They land in the safety of the basketball court, and then the dad immediately socks Kurt. So they run out the front of the gym, and as that happens, the police from the alarm getting tripped do arrive, and they both put their hands up. And it's kind of heartbreaking with Boom Boom because she, like, she almost had closure, and now she's like, oh shit, I'm getting arrested with my dad now, too. Yeah, I think oh. that's like a that's kind of a lesson for her too, right? Like, if you give a guy like that another chance, then it's just going to be the same story. Oh yeah, again. nothing's going to change. We cut over to the Bayville police station. Boom Boom is leaving the station, and Xavier and Kurt are there. 
she of course asks what's going to happen to her dad and i i i love the subtle things of like giving the explanation of why she was released without point blank saying oh you were released because of this it's like well he's charged because of coercing you and that's why i feel like certain shows do age well rod and i talked about this there are certain shows from when we were growing up you know the the decade prior that we can't watch anymore because they were so written for kids to sell toys whereas this always felt like it was written as a show to enjoy and if there were toys the toys were were complimentary to it they were not the goal of the series yes that's how we looked at it that's not how marvel <laughs> looked at it because they were a toy company then they were toy biz so the whole reason for the show was because they wanted to sell toys and that was the whole deal but yeah i'm glad that it did not come off that way to the viewers which yeah. may be they, why they never sold toys I don't they let you go as long as you wear this new gold jacket coming in fall of next year like <laughs> yeah, exactly. at least she was not given the option like evan was we we did we do joke about that one no where choice. it was oh you have a choice you can come with us to the institute or you stay here and scott says well there's always a choice and we're like that doesn't feel like he was given much of a choice yeah. <laughs> no she's like all right well i'm gonna just head back and pick up my stuff and get out of there um kurt and we've read kurt as being freshly 16 is is how we see him from an age perspective because he was driving in an episode other than that i would have thought he was 15 or younger but he was driving at one point but he has that youthful optimism of well it's okay we can make things better and i i think you know we've we've talked about in this episode boom boom has seen stuff she has a different life experience than him and she's like no i i can't it's just not where i'm supposed to be and then lots of sad people in this episode i want to say that steve (laughs) we've had sad cyclops we've had sad boom boom now we have sad kurt and i don't know if you remember the intent of this but this is kind of what i read off of it is that she saw that her father couldn't change so that she assumed that since she was the daughter of her father that she also wouldn't change well i I think there was some of that in there that she was bad seed Mm -hmm. and that she didn't belong with the good guys A, a little bit like what rogue's comic book history was of you know she she always had lots of guilt for the stuff she did before she became an X-Man. So Yeah, yeah. And some of that was us trying to do the the whole rogue thing right. with a different character. But you know, we obviously we didn't get that across do that much with Rogue being a bad guy and a good guy, but, you know. So we decided to kind of overlay that onto Boom Boom a little bit. So. Oh interesting. I thought I thought that was a great transition in the first season with Rogue like not you know being on like both live, sides of the fence oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah but also like living up to her name you know because as someone like i primarily got my x-men knowledge from the 92 series like i didn't read too many of the comics and stuff and the so toys like, yeah and the toys it's like <laughs> so the name sounds cool but she was like never really a row she was quite a team player in 92 you know actually sure. and so in this show it's like oh she is literally she calls herself a rogue she's just doing her own shit for the whole first season yeah, you know sure. so jump back over to the boarding house they have now had their water cut off and apparently there's one last bottle which lance says oh the water being cut off makes me thirsty and i'm like you are every guy in high school i wanted to just like (laughs) see fall over in the cafeteria like you're just such a piece of trash and there's a knock at the door and it's tabitha and she immediately pulls off with lance which she didn't pull off with kurt of taking the drink out of his hand she's being too nice with kurt Yeah. yeah And then everybody is just kind of like in shock. It's 
wait, why is the hot girl at our really <laughs> nasty place right now? <laughs> and kind of weird too, when you listen to it, it's like a girl is moving in with all these guys. I mean, I don't yeah. think we could, I'm shocked that kids don't be even good let us do that. Right. So. Yeah. And, and as far as Toad yells, well, no, girls aren't allowed at the Brotherhood, which yeah. meant to me he didn't view Mystique as a adult woman as one of the girls because it was the authority figure. Right. But it's like, yeah, no girls allowed. It's like, you're a teenager. You should be thrilled there's a girl <laughs> yeah, who wants exactly. to hang out yeah. with you guys sure. right now. It's funny, too, because as the episode was going before she got to this point, I was like, I know as a kid, I would have thought like, oh, she would have made a better villain. But now as older, I'm like, they're probably scared to have her. They, they want someone that like will fall in line, <laughs> you know, like she's yeah. too much of like a variable or a loose cannon. And yeah. now they have to deal with her. Oh, yeah. And, and the next episodes with her and the brotherhood, you start to see that. It's nice. not a good thing. So she's like, oh, there's there's rooms upstairs. And she goes. And I love that she's the only one of this quintet now who figures out how to open the door. You have such a mass of powers. And she's like, no, I'm just going to blow up the lock and I'm in there. And then the most amazing bedroom I think I've ever seen in animation that was not for a king or a queen is the best way I can describe yeah, this. It's pretty crazy. Two chandeliers. <laughs> I love the little reveals too, like, because you said there's other people with powers there, you know, it's not just Toad, like, Blob could have busted through the door or whatever, but also when they reveal the room, you see, like, the windows, it's like, so also, you other boys could have just, like, got, I, I, I like my headcanon of, like, they're just all that kind of dense. These guys are not deep thinkers. If it, Lance is the smartest amongst them yeah. arguably maybe pietro they're still not that smart as a total group yeah you, you see lance evolve i think it was joyride or something i think uh, you'll see an interesting side of lance that comes out so. yeah i think we started to see a moment of that in the juggernaut episode where they're at the survival camp yeah. because you do get a little bit of a moment between him and scott of like oh there's mutual respect when he could have just been a total like shit heel kind of scenario. Well, you don't, yeah. I mean, there's that to some degree, but I won't spoil it for you. But it, it's coming. No, up. Thank you. Yeah, it's don't worry. Episode, another our, episode I directed. So our our TikTok is what spoils it actually. So oh, okay. People on Instagram are usually like, love this episode. TikTok, they get into full fledged arguments. So I don't even go in the comments on TikTok. Rod does because he's the one that does those uploads, mm -hmm. and he had the season one finale spoiled for him at what like episode six or something like that. Because <laughs> I posted a clip of us talking about how at least I was surprised Mystique could turn into like non human things in this series, you know, because I wasn't used to that. So I was like, wow, there's like a such cognitive dissonance right now. I'm going to get used to, you know, and then someone put in the comments, well, she's always been able to do that ever since she went through the enhancer with Magneto. And someone else commented, like, they're watching this in real time. That's the season one finale. Haven't gotten there yet. And I'm reading this. I'm like, well, shit. Okay. <laughs> he immediately texts me. He's like, yeah, don't go in the TikTok comments for at least five weeks. <laughs> yeah. And then we got to the, the, the first part of the finale and we're watching everything happen. And I'm like, oh, okay, this, this is so Magneto, this is him assembling the enhancer. Okay. <laughs> so the episode wraps up with Nightcrawler again on the balcony. Scott is is there with him and, you know, basically just trying to make him feel better about it. He's like, well, you know, I get why you're sad. I thought it was a really cool moment between the two of them because guys in general, but especially teenage guys, like they're not good at talking about their feelings. They're awkward. And I felt like you guys nailed how awkward that emotional yeah. conversation between two teens would be. So, yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah. in 2000. I mean, yes. A lot of us had kids those ages 
at that right. time too, so that helped quite a bit. Yeah, that explains the high school accuracy. We talked about both the 92 and evolution. The media is always created by the previous generation. So sometimes there's like references of things like, I forget what some of the references we had before is like maybe like playing marbles and stuff like that, you know, like aren't as common with the current generation, but that was something mm -hmm. from before. Even this one, you'll hear, if you ever listen to the very first episode we did this, we're like, wow, this half the episode is not even about the show. It's just about us talking about high school. It was like, this feels like high school in the 2000s, even though That's like- nice. One of us would have been the age that we could have taken gene to prom if we were at the same school as her kind of scenario sure yeah and the only reason uh, we didn't watch it then was because we were both going into college and then like life you know happens for the next five or six years sure but it makes sense if you you were just like looking for inspiration he's like looking into the next room to what drama was happening with your kids yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> well i mean and a lot of things like especially the episodes i was directing i handled kurt like my middle son mm -hmm. he, oh he, nice he reminded me a lot of him his personality and everything else and that's why there's certain things about Kurt that are not said on the show, but we all kind of felt, oh, he, he's not straight. Things like that. And a lot of these characters were like that. We saw them as our kids in some way. Even if at the time you couldn't be explicit about it, that was still progressive to even have moments like that. Oh, sure. Even in the first season, the way that you address Irene and Mystique together. Sure. Because in the comics, we knew pretty explicitly what that scenario was. I'm sure Saturday morning, you know, cartoon, you were not allowed to be anywhere near as explicit on there. But no. we saw through it as adults watching back in hindsight. Yeah, you know? and I don't know if kids were able to put two and two together or not. I mean, yeah, th those are the types of things that because of the way we were making the cartoons, too, nowadays... It, you would get called on it if they didn't like it. But in those days, they'd read the script, and if it wasn't said in the script, and usually through dialogue, they didn't know it, the people right. in charge. Or if you know we didn't do anything weird with the designs or something like that, or we, nowadays, when you storyboard and direct a show, you put it on an animatic, and you send it to the broadcaster or whoever's in charge, or the producers or whatever, and they watch it in real right. time and make no notes on it. Those days, there were no animatics for TV. You'd send them a stack of storyboard like two feet thick, and it would be up to them to leaf through it to see what you did. And if you show a couple like Mystique and Irene together and imply visually that they're a couple, they would have to find that. Right. And chances of them seeing that in going through storyboards is very unlikely. So we were able to kind of you know, covertly add yeah. things in like that. Yeah, like two women just being in the back of a limo together, sitting in their seats in, an a in yeah. a storyboard right. is not as overt versus, like you said, if it's animatic right now, maybe certain things pop yeah. up. Yeah, there it's, was, it's feel the tone you feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sure. Yeah, there was, there was also a great reference in that episode when you saw Irene and she was on the phone and there was the family portrait behind and you saw the mystique necklace on the portrait, but the character was grayed out. So right. that was one of those things that I obviously like visually just pff, latched right onto. So, and I might be wrong about this because I haven't seen any more episodes past today's. But in last week's episode, the assembly when the British girl talks to Rogue, I was like, mm, you, like you said, like it wasn't explicitly said, but just the performance kind of gave me that there's a little bit more than just two girls being nice to each other. Like, there's a little spark there. <laughs> but, and and you, you see something really, I, frankly, I'm surprised we did it. It was kind of like odd, but you, you'll see it towards late, later on in this season too, where it gets pretty clear that maybe Rogue is not necessarily 100% hetero. Right. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. I, I, I kind of like got a little bit of that from that scene at the assembly. But, like, but who okay. you see it happen with 
is is not the case. <laughs> is, you're going, oh shit, that's really creepy. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay, I'll be ready. Yeah, <laughs> prepare myself. So the episode wraps up with you know that heartfelt moment between Scott and Nightcrawler. You know, Scott gives the well, you know, when she sees what the world is like out there, you know, she'll see that this is the spot that she should be coming back to, and. You guys did a great job of balancing like somber ending, happy ending. Like you would switch back and forth depending on the episode. And this mm-hmm. is one of our more somber ones where he's like, no, I I think she actually already knows what the world is like out there. Yeah. And that's when, you know, we cut to the credits. The thing that we enjoy the most about if there is a somber ending on this show is there's not the laughing Saban children <laughs> that would always happen yeah. in the other series. Sure. There's no more like juxtaposition of like an emotional moment than the Saban kids. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, or the, the, the dog who does something funny or, you know, yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Or, you know, in, in 92, it would be like, Gene died for the third time. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. So, we, like I said, we were big fans of Buffy and especially Boyd. I, at that point, I hadn't seen any Buffy, but he kind of got me into it. And so that was the template for what we were trying to do, especially you know, about midway from season one. That's where we kind of felt like we could start going in that direction. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole behind the scenes thing about us trying to covertly do stuff and whatever and whatnot. But by season two, we at that point had been given permission by kids wb in fact it was their idea because wb was who was airing buffy at the time as or yeah previous right. to that too yeah but kids wb was different than the WB of course. Or whatever they were called at that point yeah yeah but i mean i i don't know if they saw the connection but they realized that oh this soap opera that we told you not to do in season one is what's attracting viewers so suddenly it's like do more of that so, <laughs> so you, you get a lot more of the relationship stuff happening in season two than you did in season one season yep. one we kind of had to tiptoe around it and be covert season two we could lay it out there so. so that wraps up our episode i do have one question i would love to ask you before we wrap up the podcast episode obviously you said you loved working on boom boom from the episodes that that you were a part of as the director of or even just in general what was your favorite episode from this series and i know that's a loaded question yeah it's very hard i mean i had several i mean i really liked in season one the nightcrawler baby episode i think it's in season two with gene loses it and so i think that's the next episode okay having the nightmares based based on the thumbnails i think that's the next episode for us okay i don't think that would be in order then but because like i said i would be every third episode so Mm -hmm. if if you're watching you know it doesn't matter and and also there's one called joyride that i had a lot of fun because the script was kind of problematic so we had to kind of go in and play with it Mm -hmm. which is always more fun than just storyboarding and directing the script it's always right. fun when you have to go in and say okay there's something not working here we don't have time to get a rewrite we have to fix it on the run and in those days i i for that script is basically it was a lot of moving stuff around and cutting and pasting i had to xerox several copies and actually mm-hmm. cut stuff out and tape it down on another version because you know there was no ease of use of computers in those days and stuff yep. so we we didn't have shared documents in those days i i still share with people because Stephen, i don't even think i've told you about this one of my first jobs out of school was i was a writer's assistant at world wrestling entertainment so i would be on the road for monday night raw and smackdown and we would go into the production meeting and i would have to do all the copies of the run of show 
at these arenas and I had, I became an expert in fixing copy machines because if I didn't, Vince McMahon would be screaming at me down the hallway, where are the scripts? And that is not a fun person to have screaming at you. Sure, no. I imagine. Like I said, so, you know, the, the final version of this script was just, you know, lines. It looked like, you know, a kidnap note. You know, it's just, <laughs> it was just awful. But, but it was kind of a fun episode to do that with because I suddenly I was actually able to take a lot better, more control of it. And plus, there was some really fun stuff in it. I mean, besides right. the joyride aspect. And maybe I'm putting together two episodes, but there's a, a lot of fun stuff either in that episode or another one with Lance. Yep. and what he tries to do and how Rogue reacts to it. I will say Joyride is one that we have heard the name of that mm -hmm. at least from a dozen different people whenever we talk about this series. Like that cool. that one keeps coming up casually in conversation when people are like, oh, you're watching it for the first time? Have you gotten to Joyride yet? And I'm like, nope, don't spoil it for me. <laughs> well, and also Joyride is, is a big episode for Bobby and even Jubilee. Got it. Takes part in, so I think that's probably part of what the fandom is yeah. reacting to too. So awesome. Speaking of like the characters and the fandom and stuff, sorry if you've answered this before, but like how into the comics and the characters were you before the show, or did you do research for the show? <laughs> not much at all. I was not, you know, I kind of vaguely knew because I, you know, I read the comics in Stanley and Jack Kirby and way back then. When, when suddenly Beast had turned blue and all that other stuff happening, and Wolverine was involved, I had no clue about it you know i i kind of vaguely knew something but you know you know i saw drawings of beast and i saw drawings of wolverine they sort of both had the same weird hair the hair yeah maybe it's the same character i don't know so <laughs> I, I had to do a fast deep dive in that and we had people supporting us that from marvel that would oh, we need research on this give it you know and you know we get xeroxes or we get those character books you know, they used to do these big care A through Z or whatever. Oh, the yeah. official Marvel handbook. Yeah, yeah yep. we'd get those and stuff and we'd use that as reference. And nine times out of ten, it's like, no, that's not how we're going to do it. I mean, every now and then, like Mystique, we ended up, the first season of Mystique is like, we ran out of time and like, we just have to have something done for Mystique. So we kind of leaned in towards what your traditional look was, trying to goose it up as best I could with just design. You know, a lot of times it's just too late. You can't. We could, didn't have time for anything on that particular character, so we'd fall back. But when we had time, we would completely throw that out. In fact, if we can, walk 180 degrees away from it and do just the opposite like we did with Rogue and stuff. Got it. And that Rogue became iconic. I didn't even watch the show, and I hear people talk about her and reference her and everything. That's probably her and <laughs> Nightcrawler are probably, and Kitty are probably the reasons I know about evolution so much. She's I'm surprised you really hadn't heard much about Wanda. I mean, that was kind of, it was Rogue and Wanda that were huge as Ooh, far as fandom goes. Weirdly okay. enough, I've, I've not heard enough about Wanda, so I'm no. excited because I, yeah. I had seen, obviously, in like setting up our tracking sheet for the episodes that she gets introduced. But no, we've maybe it's just who we're friends with. Yeah, Kit being be. one of them is, sure. you know, yeah, obviously they, she they loves Kitty. So. Wanda. Yeah, yeah. Be, no, she wouldn't go with ropes, particularly other yeah. dark. I'm actually really interested in seeing darker characters like Wanda in this context because Wanda in 
the 92 series was a lot more slapsticky like the original comics and stuff you mm-hmm. know so to see her in this like darker context because i mainly know wanda through like the mcu stuff well you know the mcu Olsen. wanda she wouldn't what? exist without our wanda oh interesting okay there we go we, we were the ones who did that and we did well when you get to that if you want to you know email me or text me or whatever I, i'll tell you why we did that I would love yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Let's do a little follow-up. Yeah, yeah even, awesome. even if it's just a little supplementary conversation that we sure. tack on to something, that'd be amazing. Sure. Like I said, at the time we were just like, oh, this, this is interesting. You know, what would happen a lot is boy, the producer and the three directors, at least for the first two seasons. Uh, you know, after the first two seasons, I wasn't directing and I was working at DreamWorks and just freelancing the character designs. But the first two seasons, we would always go to lunch together, the four of us, and break down what we want to see happen. And then he would feed it to the writers mm-hmm. and say, okay, this is the ideas we came up with. You do these and stuff. And then yeah, they'd flesh them out, obviously, do more with them. But, you know, like the whole super soldier weapon X thing, that's yeah. broken down while we were eating sushi, you know, oh, and wow. stuff, you know, and things like that. You know, just what would you like to do? What, what characters can you put in here? Or, you know, and, you know, we purposely stayed away from any of the superhero unless we thought it could somehow fit into this world where superheroes were not known. So that's why, you know, we came up with Captain America. Okay, that, that could fit in there because he was a soldier. And, you know, yep. and could, somehow we connected him to Magneto, you know, stuff. So Very cool. Well, awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Stephen. This was incredible and loved hearing your insight on it. One of the things that we had is there is not a book similar to what the Lee Walls had with 92 that we can learn as much. So hearing it straight from you has been awesome and we're excited to share it with everybody. Any closing thoughts before we wrap things up? No, I, you know, if someone wanted to run a book, that'd be great. I, I think there's not necessarily the advocates for it and stuff, which, we, you know, someone wanted to, you know, I don't even know if Marvel, if someone came to them and said, we want to do this, they'd go along with it or not. You know, I, Got I it. have no idea. But. Okay. And they, they, the fact that we're on Disney Plus is a bonus because I think in a lot of ways they'd like to keep it buried because they kind of pilfered a lot of our ideas and stuff, which it's theirs. We did it for them, so mm-hmm. they're more than welcome to. But it's, I, I, you know, I even talked to you at one point the guy who did some of the costuming for the movies and he said, yeah. "Oh yeah, yeah, we got your stuff pinned up and stuff. We, we reference it. I mean, he wasn't the designer; he was the actual wardrobe guy. The designer." You know, I, I don't think we'd like to acknowledge that. And if you got look it. at their Pietro and stuff, you know, it's like, well, he's that's funny. It's interesting. He's got the same sleeve. Yeah. And if you look at, I mean, even the, you know, Fox X Men and stuff, it's like, boy, they reused that Wanda outfit in that, and then they used it in the MCU too to some mm-hmm. degree. So awesome. Well, we'll put this cl- clip up on social media. Maybe we'll find those advocates. Yeah. No, you never know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I will say, I do love that. All the classic animation has has made it onto Disney Plus because, you know, some of the stuff would be lost and oh, sure. being able to come back. They never yeah. came out with the DVD at the last season, I believe. So, mm-hmm. oh, wow. so you know, I know that that was a big lament for our fans for a long time. And now now that it's available, it's, I'm sure that I hope they're happy. But, you know, there are some completionists out there that want to have the hard disc yeah. and stuff in their hands and stuff. Well, on the plus side, I'm sure there will be somebody at LA Comic-Con who will have the bootleg of the oh. entire series for <laughs> yeah, us. I so. have no doubt. I know there's a guy who, he's got to hope that Marvel never sees it, is selling all the model sheets from X-Men Evolution in a book that oh, wow. put together. It's like, interesting. Going, ah, 
I mean, boy, yeah, that doesn't fit Marvel's thinking, but good luck. <laughs> Uh, To wrap things up, thank you everybody for joining us. We will absolutely share all of Steven's social links in the store on the write-up for this episode. If you have any thoughts, questions especially, please feel free to leave the comments in the YouTube upload or the official Instagram for this episode. Keep spoiling stuff for Rod on TikTok. And if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on the podcast app of your choosing, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And again, thank you so much, Steven. Appreciate it. Had a good time. Thank you.